abolition, abolition today. In any case, as far as the national efforts are concerned, at this point, we have abolished slavery in four states now. Uh, we have two states that are already on the ballot to be voted on in November of 2022. That's Oregon and Tennessee. Uh, we also have an additional nine states, like yourself, that has legislation that could put them on that same ballot in 2022. They're going through committees now, like California, uh, for, for example. And then in addition to that, we have grassroots organizations working with legislators across an additional 20 states to get their legislation in two sessions so that we can have all of the states involved, like Texas is on for 2023 and Louisiana is on for 2023. Our goal is to see this thing annihilated on paper, to end slavery in the United States for the first time, which will open up doors of possibilities that have never existed before because we never ended slavery. And every time we challenge these slave-like conditions, whether it be labor or warehousing bodies or Eighth Amendment constitutional violations, Whenever we challenge them, we are hit by a brick wall called the 13th Amendment. The court and the judges will say, well, it says you can do that right here. Not only does it say it in the federal, it says it in your state. And we want to see a world where that is not there. What would happen if we don't have that brick wall? We've never had the opportunity to find out. And so now we see the light at the end of the tunnel with so many states involved. This is not something that might happen. Uh, This is not something we wish is going to happen. This is something that is happening right now, in real time. One of the most epic uh, collection of states working together to achieve a single goal in the history of the United States. And it's very much under the radar of mass media. But we hope, uh, with the participation of media that you have here today, that the word will get out that this is something that is happening. If you've seen 13, that told you what the problem is. We are the answer. We are the solution, and we're dealing with it right now. We are dealing with it right now, and I, I think the, um, you know, what, what I'm gratified about is, is that there is a, there's a peeling back, if you will. There's a, there's a, there's a crack opening up. There's a light that's coming on that, you know, I, I said, um, I was listening to, um, um, I was listening to an artist. Uh, the Reverend Sakur, I think his name is, and he said, he said, what a time to be alive. Uh, what a time to be alive. And, and then he said, the revolution has come. I said, wow. And, and I, I think about where we are and where we're living right now in this time of all times that we could have lived, um, of any place we could have been, um, that, you know, that we would be um, entrusted with this um this awesome opportunity uh, to to take the United States of America to a place where it's never been before, uh, where we are actually a nation um, without slaves, without slaves, without slaves.
Abolition at the day. You just heard Max Parthas and Mark Hughes, the Abolished Slavery Vermont Instrumental for the People by uh, Kanye West. That was used also by uh, Common. And that was followed up by Gil Scott Heron, Brian Jackson, a toast to the people. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m., 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archive podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. <clears throat> Sorry. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my brother, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Yusuf. Uh, season 3, Episode 1, uh, streaming live yes, right sir. here from the Talk Abolition Center. We are here, Yes, man. Yes, sir. We're back. We're back live, and here we go. So the music and poetry, the discussions, the special guests, the insightful callers, the direct activism organizing, and the voices of the ancestors reclaimed. Everything you love about the program is back and better than ever. As you know, we're much more than just talk radio. We get directly involved, and we've got a plan. So last year we introduced badges and incidents of slavery into the national conversation. We provided proper legal international definitions for slavery and genocide, and we helped get legislation submitted in two dozen states. God willing, inshallah, this year we'll, be, we'll see multiple states end legal slavery in their constitutions. That's our goal for 2022, season three. So before we start, Max, tell us uh, about the opening track and, you know, some of the stuff that's been going down in the past two months. Man, we got a lot to cover, but there are some highlights of recent note. And in regards to that opening track, uh, as you know, I'm investing in our work. So I got some uh, different producing materials. I got a computer. Uh, We got a, a couple other services and stuff like that, trying to put together the best presentation that we can. We even got a website now at abolitionistcenter.com. You can check it out there. It's a work in progress. Uh, The track in the beginning, that was me and Mark Hughes speaking during an Abolish Slavery Vermont uh, event that he recently put on. In the background, you heard uh, the instrumental made by Kanye West for Common song, We uh, For The People, which is pretty high. Mm -hmm. I thought that fit perfectly. And then, of course, you know, the title of today's program was Gil Scott Haran and Brian Jackson's A Toast to the People, because that's why we're here. That's how we got to where we're at right now with all those accomplishments is because of the people, you know, the listeners right now, the organizers all across the country. And, and sometimes it's just one single person like Melina Cohen in Nebraska making everything happen. Mm-hmm. And in other places, it's entire powerful teams, resources and everything, you know, to, to make it happen. But no matter what, it's all about the people. The people got her done. They got us this far. We, when I started this, uh, going in my 10th year now, broadcasting a program like this, um, when I started this, it was a dream 
at the top of Walgreens. Like, we, we might not see that in our lifetime. You know what I mean? And here we are. Right. It, it's happening in our lifetime. Uh, we live to see it. Uh, we just want to live to see it get done. Uh, the process is amazing, but the seeing it get to the end is going is the main goal. A um, couple of things. Today is my wonderful wife, Tribal Ray's birthday. Happy birthday, uh, love of my life. <laughs> we just celebrated yeah, yeah, 35 yeah. years together, too, uh, a couple weeks ago. So, yeah. That is awesome. That is her. awesome. Definitely happy. Yeah, uh, we just had 35 years celebrated together. It's, it's been a, a beautiful thing. I, I know how blessed we are, and I, everybody has the opportunity to find someone like we have with each other. But it's been a it's been a hell of a couple of months off. We we our last program was Halloween Eve, right? <laughs> uh, October 31st right. is our last live program. We tried mm-hmm. to do a music, um, tried to do a program for New Year's Eve with music and stuff like that. And we did it, but we're using StreamYard now, and we tried to put it on StreamYard. Right. But apparently StreamYard does not allow you to play uh, music from your YouTube playlist, the public YouTube playlist. They're not big on cross promotions, I guess. So so they wouldn't uh, let us stream it for everybody to see. So I think only about a half an hour went out. But anyway, me, you, uh, Yusuf uh, Tribal, my daughter, and her boyfriend, we all were here um, Enjoying ourselves for New Year's Eve, doing how we did. But I, I don't want to talk too much because uh, we got so much to cover. A lot of things have happened so much. while we've gone, right? And a lot of things are happening, which is why we didn't even schedule a guest this week because we knew we had a lot to cover. So I'll pass the mic to you with that, Yusuf. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, uh, the biggest thing is just been many of the articles that. Uh, the many many of the news uh, stories that have come out since we've last been on the air that we're going to try to get through as many of them as we can this evening. And we have, you know, some major announcements, some good news, some bad news, and some uh, action plans for the year. So I'm yep. definitely and, not going to get up on my soapbox like I usually do, <laughs> and we're going to jump right into it, man. Well, well before, before we actually get into those stories, because once we get started, it's going to be hard to stop. We've got a lot to try to cram in, but it's all connected, you know. Uh, I want to say hello to uh, a couple of people that's on the line who's going to be our guest next week. So, Jamilia sure. and Samuel, are you there? Yes, sir, Brother Max. <laughs> oh, man. It is so great hearing your voice, man, on this side of the wall now, man. Right. Welcome home, yeah. man. Welcome home, man. Uh, Brother Samuel much. Brown is the co-author of ACA3, California Abolitionist Act, uh, one of the organizers and lead uh, creators of ASAP, as well as many other things. And for the past 24 yeah. years, he's been fighting for us from behind enemy lines inside prison. As of just last month, he is on the other side. So all the times you called us has been on one of those wall phones, right? <laughs> you That's the right. securist who, who was holding us hostage, talking about you better pay up or else you can't talk no more. And now mm-hmm. exactly. you holding exactly. the most advanced technology in the world in your hand and, and talking to it. I am. It feels great, man. I'm, I'm currently at, you know, I'm just outside of my, my brother's sister's birthday party 
you know, and it's so not even a birthday party, but a birthday lunch, brunch, so to speak. And it's uh, just mm-hmm. to go from such a transition from sitting in that little bitty cell, not having the ability to choose what I, I wanted to eat or when I wanted to shower or being able to refuse a job and being forced to work, to standing here with all of these brothers and sisters and talking to you all from this side, there are no words to capture. It, it, it's, it's such a blessing. And I just feel, um, I feel so much, I feel an obligation to continue to fight for those that I left behind. Let's just put it like that. For um, sure, for back, sure. Okay. I was, I was going to say, no. I, I, rec- I recall when, you ca- when, when uh, Jamelia was streaming when you came home, the day you got released outside the prison and you were talking, and then I saw it really hit you, and you had to take a moment, you know, to gather yourself, yeah. just like this really happened, you know, that you're home after all this time, man. So we'll get into depth about most of that stuff next week. But, you know, I just – I saw it on your face, man. Yeah. I remember it, when it my son – Unexpectedly. When my son went in and spent 15 years in there, um, I had to tell him in a poem I wrote to him called Dedicated to Justice that sometimes the best can come many long years after the worst times you've ever had. And it looks like mm-hmm. that's about to happen for you, man. <laughs> you know, the best is coming. Yeah, uh, right. you know what? You should mention that. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say that that can only occur if you're able to endure. If you're not able to endure what it is that you're going through, then you'll never get to that best. So it's it's, imp- it's an imperative for all of us to be able to stand in each other's support network, to be able to dig within, to be able to call on your higher power and endure whatever it is that you're going through, so that you can get to to that best word and people on the outside you gotta think about when he's saying endure look what he went through living hell for 24 years uh the right. least we can do is get over our little emotional problems out here you know what i mean and deal with <laughs> it and keep it moving <laughs> you know uh we alluded to it but just to let people know next week you are our guest on abolition today where we're gonna talk about all the stuff <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna give them all the goodies and I want to give you a heads up. I've already snatched that poem you did. So as soon as you got did out, you? the first thing you did was a poem, and I got it. So when you put it out, I snatched it up. And I'm going to see if I can put it together in a nice little mix. Is that okay with you? Man, that would be awesome. Thank you for asking. All right. All right. Is the lovely wife there with you, too? She is. I'm uh, hiding get, get, over here. I'm just <laughs> I'm giggling and Get hearing. on this microphone, woman. <laughs> I'm giggling and grinning. I'm just so happy to have him here, and you know, like we're not being interrupted every 15 minutes. Our calls aren't being recorded. Uh, but most right. importantly, you know, he's here. He survived. He made it. Like my God! And not only did he make it, but he made it out with his mind and his heart and his soul. Intact and so right, I'm just right. you know, y'all know I talk a lot, but I am completely lost for words. I, he, he people look at me like better. I'm strange. They like, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm smiling. I'm happy, huh? They're like, yeah, you an angry woman with your fist in the air, ready to fight everything. Where's your fist? I'm like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> man. Yeah, he, he came out. He came out improved. Uh, 
stepped out in his gown. You know what I mean? He had his gown on and the sash. Cap and gown on. Endless, That's the right. cap is on. It is degrees. Oh, man. <laughs> Took that That's joint right. off, got his suit on, and went into poetry. I was like, see, that's my man's in there. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. To it. You know, <laughs> you know I, I was once told by my mentors when I first came that prison, well, first of all, George Jackson, he said that prison does one of two things. It either, it either breaks you or it makes you the best version of yourself that you've ever been. Or it mm. makes you the best version of yourself that you've ever been. And, and I de- decided way back then that I'm not going to come out here a broken spirit. I refuse. And so what my mentors told me, they said that the prison is a hidden university, much like what we've seen Brother Malcolm X do and many others go in and, and improve upon themselves. So I decided I would make it my university. And I remember my little bro, uh, Craig Farley, he called it the Historical Black Correctional University. Ain't that some crap? The HBCU, mm. the Historical Black Correctional University. I was like, that's profound, man. And it's sad, but we utilize it. And not and don't, instead of letting it use us. Amen to that, good. brother. Well, we're gonna look forward to next week, and uh, I hope that you, you know, if you ain't got much to do, well, you had a birthday party, but if you get a chance, chill and listen to the music <laughs> and the stories with us when you can. You know what I mean? And uh, for anybody else, if you are tuning in, you can catch the archives too if you miss something. This program is definitely rewindable. <laughs> Man, especially that opening track, right? A toast to the people. <laughs> With That's right. No doubt. Speaking of tracks, Yusuf, uh, like I said, we got a lot of news to cover, but let's go to our next track and then bring the news in between that and the other. Okay? Sure. All right, so we're going to start this off with Law and Disorder, 2021, Chris Hedges on Modern Slavery. My family out in Missouri sent this to me, and I put a little something together for you guys to listen. It says a lot, especially after what you just heard here today. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes after this. Abolition. 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 Because, yes, the expansion of the prison population began as a response to the black power movement and to the organizing of black radicals, but then was turbocharged with deindustrialization and the need to find coercive forms of control to keep abandoned populations in check. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Chris, you, you point out that the mass incarceration was a response to the civil rights movement in the late 60s and 70s. In the same token, you write and describe that uh, that now the civil rights issue is is that mass incarceration. I think there are many civil rights issues, but well, I would sure, say mass incarceration is the most important because it is essentially stripped. Uh, if it's found a mechanism to remove any kind of cohesiveness or leadership within, especially black communities, by locking up black men, and what you do is you lock up the men and you evict the women and children. The, the women and children fall into economic freefall. They're, they're, it's constant, it's migratory. They're constantly being pushed from place to place. So most of my students don't even finish one year in a school. They're, they're constantly the disruption in their lives and also the trauma of evictions. They talk about it. It's part of the play. They write about the evictions the people showing up and throwing all their furniture on the street and they have nowhere to go and they end up in an abandoned house and there's no electricity and there's you know drug activity in the house i mean 
that is a constant in their life. And and if you constantly evict people and you remove the male population from a community, you can't build any kind of cohesiveness. You can't build any kind of organization to resist, and I don't think that's accidental. Chris, you have a, a quote in your book, Our Class, from the extraordinary uh, revolutionary leader, Ojiri Atulu. And I wondered whether you might read that for our listening audience, please. Sure. This was integrated into the play, and uh, it was pretty much taken from the transcript, from the taped interview I did with Ojiri outside the prison. Uh, and he represents this historical consciousness. So this is what he says. The state created the whole for us revolutionaries back in the day. They had to keep us from the rest of the population, and they had to break us. They couldn't let us preach resistance. They refined all their torture techniques in the 60s on the Panthers, the Black Liberation Army, the Puerto Rican Independence Movement, and the American Indian Movement. Today they add Islamic militants, jailhouse lawyers, gangbangers, and political prisoners to the list, but they hate us the most. We know what they don't want you to know. We know the control of black bodies has been seamless, from slavery, to black codes, to convict leasing, to the Jim Crow laws, to the so-called war on drugs. We know promotions, quotas, money from the feds, the money they take off of us is what makes prison a business. A body ain't worth nothing on the street, but once inside, once you lock in a cage, you're worth 50000 a year to all them prison contractors, food service companies, phone companies, medical companies, and prison construction companies, and they got to keep them cages full if they're going to make their money. And once you get out, once you've done your time, they make sure you've got no job, no food stamps, no public housing, so you end up right back in where you can make them some more money. People say the system don't work. That's because they don't get it. The system works just the way it's designed to work. Inside, you meant to be a slave. you forced to work for a dollar a day. You call the New Jersey Bureau of Tourism and you're talking to a prisoner at the Edna Mahan Correctional Institute for Women who's making 23 cents an hour. No ability to negotiate wages, working hours, or working conditions. And the state don't want that kind of consciousness. The state knows the power of ideas, but I don't ask them what's fair or not fair. They want to destroy us, we want to destroy them. Fair has nothing to do with it. We still got hundreds of black revolutionaries, our prisoners of war, our political prisoners in cages all across North America. Mumia Abu Sundiata Apoli, Matulu Shaka, Imam Jamil Alamil, Jalil Abdul Abdul Muntakin, Seku Fondega, Abdul Majid, Tom Manny, Bill Dunn, Leonard Peltzer. Almost no one remembers we exist. The state done erased our memory. But we survive even in here because we have a purpose. We know our history, which means the history and persecution of our people. We got a community even inside these walls. We got the spiritual and physical strength to face captivity and death, and that means we always free. Always free. Abolition. Abolition. Wow. 
That was uh, Law and Disorder by Chris Hedges on modern slavery, and that was just so powerful right there, Max, especially when he said a body on the street is worth nothing. And he just drove it home. All of the avenues and all of the key players that make all of the money, you know, off of those bodies that we've talked about many times on the program about warehousing bodies, Max. Absolutely. In the film No Address, the documentary that I participated in, uh, directed by Colette Elise, I talked about that, how with the homeless population, the way they look at it is they're not worth anything um, outside. But if you put them in a prison or a jail, lock them up, they're worth thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year just for filling up a bed. And so they started doing that to extremes all across the country. You're right. He did cover a lot of things. Uh, the quote, of course, by Ojeria Tulu was extremely powerful and very uh, real, uh, as gritty as it could possibly get. But he also pointed out, as many have said, and I've said, you've said, many others, that uh, a lot of this war on drugs was the direct result of the 60s civil rights movement and the black power sure. movement and you know, right. the uh, Black Panthers, all of that was a retaliation move that they did. And they admitted to it years later in the Harper's uh, Journal, where, what was the name, uh, Ehrlichman, it said that, you know, they knew exactly what they were doing, and they were aiming it at blacks and war protesters. But when they say something like, we're aiming it at blacks and war protesters, you got to remember uh, that the war ends, and there's no more war protesters, and we're still black. So it wasn't really after those two. It just happened to cover the war protesters at the time. It was mainly at the time at black people. Right. Sure. Because we still Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and he talked about the economic free falls that they put us through. Again, that's something we've covered on this show here where it's a formula that they do. You take the jobs out of the community. The community falls into disrepair. They start losing their property. Drugs and alcohol move into uh, the area. Depression moves in. And guess what follows that? a drop in the value of the uh, property as well as an increase in crime. And all you got to do after that is just go and send your army of slave catchers in. <laughs> and you got a sure. steady supply of people coming into your prisons, which you're using as an economic development program. Um, one thing that Brother Ojeria Tulu said is that they hate us the most. Like, we all know that. People always try to throw us in a bucket with a bunch of other things, but they hate us the most. And you can look at the data and see all across this country, there's not a state in the union where white people are incarcerated at a higher rate than blacks. It don't matter if the black people only make up 0.1% of the population, they still will be incarcerated at a higher rate. It's amazing. You said? You're absolutely right, Max. You know, that drives it home right there. And, you know, we always tie it into the exception clause of the 13th Amendment, and we show historically how it progressed generation after generation to get to where it is. It didn't just happen. It was a strategic plan that they carried out over 100 and, uh, what is it, almost 160 years now, or a little bit over 160 years that they've carried it um, out. 159. 159. 150, what are we talking, 1865, 157? Yeah, yeah, for 1865, 157, exactly. Right. And it went on, it went on for 153 years before anything was ever done about it, and Colorado was the first. Like, how, 
153 right. years before we actually did something about it. You talk about it slow, but we're we're moving at a right. fast pace now. I'm, I'm gonna open that line again, four seven one one. If you had any comments on what you just heard, Sam or Jamelia. All right, I know they had a birthday party. Yeah, yeah, they may have gone back into the party. All right. Yeah. No, I, All right, I'm well. here. I'm here. I think oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I think he. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I missed him. So, hold on were you, were you able to hear the track? I did. Uh, and once again, you know, it's uh, very profound. I, I found it rather interesting, uh, you know, when he talks about what actually happens to the family. You know, when when the moon is extracted as a resource from our community and how mm-hmm. it leaves us as, as women and mothers are oftentimes broken and tattered. You know, and this is this is how it is designed. Um, you know, we've had a lot of feedback from people in regards to the strength of our relationship and our family and how have we been able to uh, – how have we been able to do it? You know, because families fall apart in this system. Um, and first I want to say, you know, it's, it's truly the grace of God, but it, it's also uh, our mindfulness, right, of knowing how this system is designed um, and being able to, to navigate around it. You know, we oftentimes hear people say, well, the system is broken. It's not. <laughs> this shit is working just fine. Hold on, that's him. Yeah, it's working perfectly. If what you wanted to do is be a slave system, it's working perfect. Right. Yeah, of course. Right. And one of the things, you know, like, maybe I'm glad you're back. We were just talking about, you know, giving some feedback on the what we heard, the track we heard. And I was telling them, you know, about the how it's designed, how the system is designed to break down, break down the family, break down marriages. Um, you know, and extracting extracting our men as resources from our community and how it leaves us as women and, and mothers broken and tattered, you know. And, and we've been successful in um, not just keeping us together, but really being able to build and thrive, um, not just in a relationship, but as parents. Um, something that, you know, I, I would like to highlight and tell people is that, you know, not only do I have an amazing husband, and, and spouse and life partner, but I have an amazing father. Um, my children have an amazing father because he has always made it a point to be there for them, um, you know, when he couldn't physically be there. Um, and, and this system does not, this system isn't designed to keep relationships healthy and happy and whole. You know, a lot of hell goes on when you have 15 minute phone calls and you can't talk. A lot happens when, you know, your children aren't able to uh, spend quality time with their their incarcerated parents um, because of time constraints and travel and all these things. And so I really commend him and thank him for what he has done in order to make sure that not only I was whole and healthy and happy, but so are our children, despite you know, operating in a place that, you know, he was in the negative all of the time. Wow. Thank you. And so what comes to mind for me when I heard it, you all, was is corporate genocide. And corporate genocide is something that you, me and I discussed. And it's when these corporations decimate our communities 
in order to fulfill their bottom line. And that's ultimately what I feel like he was mm-hmm. talking about and why we're here. You know, um, when I talked to people about it initially, I expressed to them that they're stealing the resources out of our community. And I, when I say resources, I don't mean that they're fracking or taking oil or that they're stealing the gold or the rubber trees. They're stealing our bodies. They're stealing our bodies. Right. They're either murdering us through the police officers or they're stealing us through the courtrooms. And like Jamil just explained, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, chain of, it's a chain of reaction. A number of, of effects that are taking place as a result from the broken families to the men going inside of prison and never having an opportunity to maximize their potential. They're taking away our potential to grow, to evolve, to protect our families. And there are right. 12 sectors to the prison industrial complex. You know, 12 sectors, you know, some of which are agriculture, uh, not agriculture, excuse me, architecture and construction. You have canteen. You have data, data, data systems. Um, um, what are the other ones, man? Uh, Damn, food, food, clothing, mm-hmm. community labor. They're like 12 sectors. Sure. Each one of them are privatized, and they're all privatized. And I'm sorry about that. My mind, I just got to eat and fry a lobster and it's messing with my brain. I just pressed out the prison, <laughs> right? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is each one of these sectors have been privatized. And so they have special interest groups who all support lobbying for, quote, unquote, tough on crime laws in order to fulfill their quotas of the bodies that they need to snatch from these neighborhoods. And it's not about whether a person is guilty. It's not about protecting the public. It's, it's based in a racist past, systemic oppression, and corporate genocide. So when he talks about taking the body off the street that's worth nothing and then putting it in the prison and it suddenly becomes worth something, it makes me think of a Tupac quote when he said, it takes six to eight people to carry it to lift a dead body or to lift the casket. Those same six to eight people lifted a person while they was alive It'll change everything, you know. It'll right. change everything. So that's what comes to mind for me. I know what you what you're saying, brother. I can feel you on that for sure. Um, yeah, there was a lot that was said in that clip uh, that resonated uh, to, you know. And, and when I got it, uh, I received it from a friend out in Missouri and uh, Jeff Humphrey, and he used to be a radio show host, and he said, Max. They are catching on, man. Listen to this. And I listened to it. And, you know, there were some errors in the presentation. He still stuck out mass incarceration. You know what I mean? Chris Hedges. He's still using this misnomer uh, while talking about slavery. And uh, that is a confusing thing. Is it slavery or mass incarceration? Pick one and stick to it, please. (laughs) You know? Right. We know it's not mass incarceration because uh, mass incarceration doesn't take into account the racial aspect that's behind it. At, at the least, it doesn't take that in. That's right. It's, it assumes a lot of things that are not true. And it also takes away the crime of it all and turns it into right. a mistake or an error over time or bad judgment when it's actually a crime against humanity happening in real time called slavery. Uh, and it exactly. has been going since the beginning of this country, really. In 1865, as Frederick Douglass so aptly just showed us, it uh, wasn't abolished. It was remixed, <laughs> you know, and came out with this right. thing called convict leasing. And then convict leasing feel, uh, proved to be so successful, they expanded it. And then eventually it was like, well, you know, we don't need to just make them work. We can also just store their bodies like a butcher and have meat on the shelf. And that's worth money to us too. And that's, that's right. Inventory. 
mandatory, right? And the recidivism rates are part of that, which is what uh, Sam was just talking about, you know, how it, we're set up to fail when we get out. They want you to fail because it's reusable resources, which is why you can have as much as a 75% recidivism rate because you don't want people to make it on the outside. You want them disenfranchised. Uh, you want them without their rights, without opportunities, and in as much of a bad situation as they can be so that they end up right back where they were so you can be the prophet and say, look, I told you they, that they were bad people and they'd end up right back here. Speaking of, uh, some of the new news that came out includes some wins. Like you said, uh, Kevin Strickland is free after 43 years uh, of wrongful conviction. Wrongful convictions by themselves are an issue that need to be dealt with. Sab and I and a couple of brothers, uh, Brother Andy Williams, Hood candidate, uh, Jamelia, we were talking about that recently. To always keep in mind that everybody who's in these prisons and jails uh, did not commit a crime and are not necessarily guilty of anything. That the United States has been doing this to us for a very long time, and guilt is whatever they say guilt is. (laughs) It don't have have nothing to do with committing a crime, you know? And Kevin Strickland sat in there 43 years. We uh, advocated hard here on Abolition Today to see him freed. Uh, against all odds, he's finally out. And, you know, in Missouri, they don't give you nothing if you've been wrongfully convicted. So 43 years, they were going to put him out with nothing but the stuff that he had in there. And that's it. Um, but instead, uh, people got together and raised a million dollars for this, brother. You see? Right. Because their original goal was uh, four hundred and thirty thousand dollars, and in two days they had raised, you know, over a million dollars in that two days. Because people were just so heartstruck behind the story, you know, because we it was so long that the governor didn't want to sign it, sign documentation to release him. You know, the courts didn't want to. it. Was just so many things holding him up. Because that's what happens, you know. Once they get a wrongful conviction, they they fight hard to keep it there. It's why Mumia is still sitting in prison. It's why Imam Jamil Alameen is still sitting in prison. And many of our uh, political, many many of our uh, political warriors, you know, from the '60s and the '70s, are still sitting in prison because once they got their conviction with the tainted evidence or withholding evidence or falsified testimony, they do not want to let them out because of what they represent. It's why you know, that they hold many of them in solitary confinement for so long. And, you know, as we saw with uh, Hugo Yogi Pinnell, they had him in solitary confinement over four decades, and then they had him murdered once he got out of solitary. Or we take uh, the Angola Three, and we can run through a whole litany of names, you know. So once they get these wrongful convictions, they do everything to keep them intact. You know, uh, it also ties into another story. There's a gentleman uh, by the name of Daryl Doughty. Daryl Doughty spent more than two decades behind bars after a detective fabricated evidence in the murder case against him. He was awarded $6 million by a federal jury. The jury found that former Durham police detective, uh, no, I'm sorry, Daryl Doughty was the officer's name, faked evidence in the botched investigation that put Daryl Howard behind bars on double murder and arson arson charges for the 1991 killing of Doris Washington and her teenage daughter. So he 
He got $6 million, but I'm sure he would trade that $6 million if he could get that 20 years of his life that was stolen from him. I'm sure he would, man. Uh, you know, in addition to these wrongfully convicted, there's also the political prisoners, too. The United States sure. is doing some dirty deeds, man. Uh, and we have to, you know, our, our discussion the other day was along lines like, how do you, how do you, um, how do you help somebody to be reformed who never committed a crime? How do you give someone job training who had a career before you wrongfully convicted them? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how does that right. even apply? It doesn't. You know, you're institutionalized, innocent people is what you're doing. So yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's pretty nasty. So here, and this, I was gonna say, here's another case. So there was a Philadelphia man by the name of Christopher Williams. He he was exonerated this uh, last year after he served 31 years behind bars on wrongful murder convictions. He spent 25 years on death row. Death row. Uh, he, uh, he's uh, hired Benjamin Crump. You know, to be his uh, attorney, he's suing for $100 million. He was released from prison in February after the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office Conviction Integrity Unit that was started by Larry Krasner down there in Philadelphia. He said he was going to start this and start looking at many of these cases. They reexamined this case and concluded that he had been railroaded into convictions on four murder charges dating to 1899. There's a great article uh, behind that. Uh, it's called "What's the Price for Stealing His Life?" Another case that uh, this one really threw me for a loop, Max. So it says black man gets new trial after Tennessee jury deliberated in room with Confederate emblems. Tim Gilbert was found guilty on, in March 2020 of assault after an all-white jury discussed case in room that had Confederate memorabilia. Uh, so they had a Confederate flag and a portrait of Confederate President Jefferson Davis hanging in the deliberation room at the Giles County Courthouse in Pulaski, Tennessee. Is that Tennessee again? Where a jury of white locals found Tim guilty guilty of aggravated assault and other charges following a March 2020 trial. The jury deliberation room itself was named after the Daughters of the Confederacy a group uh, established after the Civil War to preserve the legacy of Southern soldiers and their monuments, according to the Tennessean newspaper. This is the type of stuff that we're dealing with, Max. Yeah, it's, we're dealing with evil. Uh, it's an ancient evil that uses new faces to stay alive. Uh, and Absolutely. they can get pretty nasty with it. Like, We've got a couple confusing cases. We've been winning some and losing some recently. But at least we've been winning some before we wouldn't win nothing. You know what I mean? Even now, it's still a small right. percentage. Uh, for instance, all three defendants were found guilty of murdering Ahmad Opry, right? So that was a win right. as far as everybody's concerned, for sure. And the prosecutor as well was indicted uh, for her role in trying to cover it all up. So I know that the family there feels like they got some measure of justice even though that there is nothing that can replace the life of their son. But on the other hand, Kyle Rittenhouse got to walk free after killing two people. And that's a hell of a message to send right now. Um, basically, it means that if some white supremacist, which is what he was doing and out there as, uh, starts killing people uh, and you try to disarm him, you're the one that's wrong. 
Like what? So he got away right. killing people, and they made him into a rock star. Uh, you know, sure. GOP now got him coming in with fireworks and whatnot. Turned him into a damn rock star. He, he's on a he's a, he's on a world tour right now. It seems, you know, that they have him on different talk shows and he's traveling around the country. And uh, I think it was your daughter who mentioned that he was uh, having uh, a, a meal with the uh, Attorney General of South Carolina just the other day. Yep. The other day he was here in Columbia, South Carolina having dinner with the attorney general. Why in the hell would you let this man who just killed a couple of people, this 17-year-old boy who killed a couple of people, have dinner with the district attorney? I don't understand. What is the purpose of that? Did he become an expert in criminology all of a sudden? Yeah, it just tells you <laughs> what they're doing. It's the same reason they had that uh, Confederate flag in that room and flying here in the capital of South Carolina for so long. It's a message to everybody around them. You better realize where you're at and who you, who's in charge. That's basically what it's saying, which is why that case you mentioned is getting uh, 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 another look. Exactly. Sam, you wanted to say something on that? Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. This is how this, this place operates. They want to kill all of our beacons of hope, everyone that we can get hope from, because, you know, hope is deadly. And, and, and dangerous in the hands of the oppressed. Yet they want to give hope to to those who are in positions of power by raising someone like Kyle Rittenhouse and not letting him be subjected to a quote unquote justice, whatever that looks like. You know, so I'm it's sad to say y'all, but I'm not surprised, you know. This is the world that we live in and this is what we're fighting to change. This this is why it's so important that we come together and stand together and fight diametrically because we're beleaguered, man. We're attacking every angle. We're attacking the legislature. We're attacking the offices. We're attacking the courtrooms. We're attacking the schoolhouses. And so it's, it's not one size fits all. We have to push back from every single direction that we want to effectuate the change that we so desperately need. You know, here's yes. another story that I thought that was very interesting, Matt. Uh, the Queens District Attorney moves to dismiss 60 cases that relied on convicted NYPD detectives. You know how we always talk about when we hear something about some detective getting caught up in corruption or falsifying evidence, and we say, why don't they ever go back and look at all of their cases? Well, this is exactly what the Queens County District Attorney, Melinda Katz, is starting to do. She's starting to have the state Supreme Court judges go back and look at these cases, and she's looking to uh, vacate 60 of them. She said the detectives were convicted of crimes of serious misconduct related to their duties. And upon receipt of this information, she said she's made a commitment to view the Queen's cases in which the officers were the essential witnesses and take appropriate action. At least 10 of the 20 officers identified in the defense attorney's letter were involved in Queen's criminal cases. An initial review of cases involving three of the 10 officers have been completed, and investigators say they've identified 60 cases that require dismissal. And the article also names names, you know, so if anyone comes across these articles and they recognize any of these officers involved in their family cases, definitely reach out to the Queens District Attorney and have them, you know, look at your, your, your own family members' cases. Well, yeah, that's one of the things we, we always say is when you bust a cop 
or judge or prosecutor, it's a very likely possibility that's not the first time they've ever done it. It's just the first right. time they got caught. And the, right. the proper thing to do is to um, look into their entire career, not because you want to find more ways to convict them or charge them, but because there's innocent or possibly fatally killed people who they personally are responsible for either framing or murdering. So you got to right. look. Like, how many people did that judge who just was talking about how the man who robbed her house uh, was a nigger, and it was like nigger rats? Isn't that what she said? Nigger rats, the judge out there in California yeah. talking about nigger rats. How many nigger rats did she see in her courtroom? How many people did she railroad mm. because that's who she thought they were? And instead of just right. firing her or suspending her, her whole uh, her whole history should be investigated to see if there's any victims who need rescuing right now. So Absolutely. yeah, and and they're not doing that at all, man. Um, these people are going nuts. They're talking about civil war. And, you know, we've been telling mm-hmm. you over and over again that history is a synonym. It's the same crap smells differently. And the bad sure. repeats just as much as the good. And as we grow in population and in size and in technology, we reach farther and farther extremes. In 1800s, we didn't have electricity or nuclear bombs. We got both of those right now, you know? Mm-hmm. And here we are again. These fools out here trying to start a civil war. They've got generals talking about how a potential coup could happen. They've got lone wolves out here blowing up buildings, trying to uh, kidnap governors, uh, shooting five, six, ten, fifteen people, driving their cars uh, over people and murdering them left and freaking right, uh, talking mm-hmm. about how they want to start a civil war. And those that is one of the two things I've always kept my eye on. If there's a way to avert that part of history repeating, I would do whatever is necessary to make that happen because I don't want my grandchildren coming up in no damn battlefield because some crazy ass white people want to kill other white people for ideologies and don't want to accept <laughs> facts. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the two things. The other thing, of course, is the exception clause. There's always going to be some exception clause they're going to try to get in there. If we get to the point where we win, they're going to throw in an exception clause, and we've got to be very wary of that when it comes. Uh, with that being said, I want to play another track, Yusuf. Uh, it's a mix I put together in regards to the extremism we've seen in 2021. And what you and I, after discussing it, both think is going to be the narrative of 2022. The lone wolves out here murdering people who are anything but lone wolves. They are guided missiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, and abolitionistcenter.com. Check out the new website. Uh, we're going to play Inagata Da Vida Instrumental with some various clips of racist extremism in the United States during 2021. We'll be right back after this. The FBI says these men, fueled by racist hate, plotted mass murder. The time for violent revolution is now. Patrick Jordan Matthews and Brian Mark Lemley Jr. are admitted members of the white supremacist group, The Base. Here is Matthews wearing a gas mask calling for a race war. If you want the white race to survive, you're going to have to do your part. ABC News has obtained this newly released video as well as audio evidence from the case. 
The men had been under investigation for possible domestic extremism, but in December 2019, the FBI obtained a court order allowing them to secretly place a surveillance camera and microphone in the men's Delaware home. We need to go back to the days of decimating uh, blacks and getting rid of them wherever they stand. The two were arrested in January 2020, just before the FBI claims they intended to launch their civil war by attacking a gun rally in Richmond, Virginia. While the Virginia situation is happening, make other things happen. Derail some rail lines. Great, let's shut down the rest of the roads. You know, you can kick off the economic collapse of the U.S. within a week. The FBI believes the men who both had military training had the means to carry out the plot, discovering 1,500 rounds of ammunition, firearms, and tactical gear. Both pleaded guilty to gun charges in June and were each sentenced to nine years in prison last week. The threat of white supremacy is apparently rising. FBI Director Christopher Wray testified this year that the number of domestic terrorism cases involving white supremacists has tripled since he became director in 2017. Pierre Thomas, ABC News, Washington. Abolition. Today. I'm going to play you a voicemail that we received hours after I got off the phone with Representative Bobert after she posted her video. Can we see you in the here, bitch? We know you're up to You're all about to the country. Don't worry, there's plenty. That little rub. Yeah, can we? We take you off the paper. I'm getting you fucking We know what you are. You're a fucking traitor. You will not live much longer, bitch. I can almost guarantee that these people are rising up. And you will be tried for the military tribunal. And you will be found guilty. For those of you who did not hear it very well, let me repeat you what the voicemail says. We see you, sand and word bitch. We know what you are up to. You are all about taking over our country. Don't worry. There is plenty that would love the opportunity to take you off the face of this effing earth. Come get it. But you are effing Muslim piece of shit. You are jihadist. You know what you are. You are effing traitor and you will not live any longer. Condemning this should not be a partisan issue. This is about our basic humanity and fundamental rights of religious freedom enshrined in our Constitution. Yet while some members of the Republican Party have condemned this, to date, the Republican Party leadership has done nothing to hold their members accountable. It is time for the Republican Party to actually do something, to confront anti-Muslim hatred in its ranks and hold those who perpetuated accountable. 
It's happened yet again in America. The parents of three teenagers learned today their children will not be coming home from school. The parents of seven others finding out their kids are in hospitals with bullet wounds. Yet another school shooting. The 58th shooting on school grounds this year, according to gun safety advocacy group Every Sound. This time, it happened in Oxford, Michigan, population 3,500 outside Detroit. Cops there say a 15-year-old student brought a semi-automatic handgun to school and opened fire. They say he shot off 15 to 20 bullets, killed three students, shot eight other people, including the teacher. Police in the American state of Wisconsin have detained the driver of a vehicle which drove at speed into a Christmas parade in the city of Warkshaw, uh, killing five people and injuring nearly 50 others. The vehicle had members of a marching band, and the local hospital says this treated 18 children among the injured. And police are investigating a deadly shooting that took place outside of Boston over the weekend as a hate crime. The incident began Saturday afternoon in Winthrop, Massachusetts. Police say a 28-year-old white male carrying two handguns crashed a stolen truck into a building. He then fled on foot, shooting and killing two black people. Officers exchanged gunfire with the suspect, killing him. The district attorney said the gunmen had written troubling white supremacist rhetoric and targeted the victims because they were black. Abolition. Abolition. That was various clips of racist extremism in the U.S. in 2001, and that was uh, accompanied by in the God of... 2021? What did I say? I don't <laughs> yeah. even know what I said. 2001? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, 2021. <laughs> and that was accompanied by Inagata Davida, instrumental. And, uh, you know, as I'm listening to that track, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of just how rampant, you know, these uh, mobs have been over the years when she started talking about vigilante justice and how, you know, for some, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's exactly what came to mind. The first thing Mm -hmm. I thought of was lynching, you know, where, you know, someone could be accused of, I mean, some of the most minor crimes and, you know, the sheriff would turn and look the other way and they'll come and snatch the person out of the jail cell and take them to the park and hang them. And, you know, it was just a staggering number of lynchings that happened. And we still see modern lynchings going on today. Uh, case in point was uh, the Ahmet Arbery case, you know, with uh, Gregory and Travis McMichael and William Bryan. And thankfully, they've been found guilty of murdering Ahmet Arbery. And on top of that, the original prosecutor in the case uh I don't recall her name offhand. Karen Karenisk. Okay. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> but she's, she uh, has actually been indicted for misconduct, you know, in that case as well, because she tried to sweep it under the rug when it first came to her. You know, she just right. tried uh, Jackie Johnson. Yeah, Jackie Johnson. That's the, the, the confusing thing I mentioned earlier is in one issue with modern-day lynching, they were convicted. In the other of modern-day lynching, he walked away free. So, you know, where are we really at this point? And now right. he's being used as a banner to go out and do it again. 
Uh, so this right. is what they're doing. They're they're telling people that it's time. We played it on air. Their congressmen uh, that what they're saying, that what the senators are saying about how it's time to get the guns and kill people. And in this clip, right. you just heard them directly say. The guy said, it's time to go back to the days of decimating blacks wherever they stand. And when he was talking about Representative Ilhan Omar, Ilhan Omar, the other guy, guy, when he was talking about her, he was calling her a sand nigger. You know, that's like saying slave labor. You know, it's directly from slavery. So whatever they're thinking of, it's your proximity to being black that is the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the funny thing, they're calling themselves the base. And, I mean, that's the literal translation of al-Qaeda. It literally means the base, you know, the foundation. So, you know, they 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 take on these types of terms. You know, when there was a thing a few years ago with this Sutton Jihad syndrome that they were talking about, you know, that, you know it's sort of like – it seems to be some competition as to how racist can you be and how out there can you be. Every time we're hearing more and more cases and they're just getting more and more racist with it and openly racist about it, and it's starting to become acceptable. So we blame the Rush Limbaugh's and the Trumps and the uh, – what's the other guy? Tucker Carlson for giving them the platforms and giving them the encouragement to come out with these things. Because they're creating this platform for them to where they're like, okay, the more racist you can be, we're going to put you on the forefront. You know, this is why you have someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene sitting up in the uh, in the in the House of Representatives, carrying on the secession. things that she's carrying. Yeah, she's, they're calling it a, a national divorce. <laughs> they want to secede. Everybody wants to break off into the slavers versus the non-slavers again. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Yeah. And they are cunning, they're brazen, and they're wicked. Uh, For instance, it's very clear to them the catalyst necessary to start a civil war. All you got to do is go to a gun rally and start a fight. Simple as that. And normally, it's not a black gun rally. We see like one or two of those. (laughs) It's normally a bunch of white people. So you're talking about white sacrifice now. Go and shoot a few white people, old keepers. Uh, whatever the hell these different names are, the the, the what, what's the other ones, the the Proud Boys, all of these people walking with their guns yes. out there. All you gotta do is shoot a couple of them and blame it on black people. And that like they did during the COINTELPRO era. You yes. know, they like that, they were out committing crimes, and you know, if you had two different factions, you know, like you take uh, the US movement along with the Black uh, Panther Party, and you know, they'll go and do something to one group, and then they'll put out the information that us did it or they'll do something to us and they'll put up the info that the Black Panther Party did it and try to have the two factions fighting each other. Look at the cop that just got uh, his ass beat by other cops. He was an undercover cop who had infiltrated mm-hmm. the movement and was part of the rally there and the white cops came and beat the black cop not knowing he was a cop. He, they thought he was just another protester. And he sued them, and they've been convicted. He charged the cops that did it, and now they've been convicted. But that was because they kicked his uh, treasonous, sneaky ass. If they'd have beat the guy next to him, he wouldn't have had no problem with it at all. At all. No problem at all. Infiltrators, man. It's crazy. 
And to think they are so brazen, and we played a number of these clips here during our show. As a matter of fact, uh, this is one of them. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. <laughs> you know what, Karen? I'm glad you came back this 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 uh, season, too. I'm glad you right. came back, but I'm sorry, we Max. Played, I just needed to address her. <laughs> we played that entire clip of her saying that people think that they can go, just call, call up a congressman or a senator and leave death threats. And it's no big mm-hmm. deal. Like, that's okay to do. You you got all the privilege in the world. You can call up and say, you know, representative such and such, we're going to murder, death, kill you. <laughs> right. You know? And if we knew you was going to be this much of a problem, we'd have picked our own fucking cock. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it, it, it's been a hell of a past few years since the uh, epidemic, the pandemic has come in 2019 at the end of that. Uh, ever since things have only started to spiral more and more out of control as people lose their damn minds, not knowing how to act during national emergencies. And we're starting to see more right. and more extremes. So for the first time, we're seeing the government actually uh, face the fact that the biggest problem in the United States is domestic terrorists. And what are those domestic terrorists? It damn sure ain't, uh, what do they call us? Black identity extremists. It's not them. Black identity. Right. <laughs> like, it ain't it's us. not them. It's these white nationalists talking about how they're going to start a civil war by killing people in a gun rally or kidnapping a governor or uh, attempting a coup on the White House itself. And Democrats are some punks, man. They just sit there and act like these people ain't serious. You know, I heard them say the other day on one of these left-leaning shows, I think it was The Young Turks, um, that they have got to push the Republican Party uh, to act, to push them to the edge, take them Take them to the shed and show them how it's done. I mean, what are you talking about? They've been kicking your ass for the, for years now. They've been talking about murdering you. When when the Democrats say, you know, we when they go low, we go high. They say, you know, we got mm-hmm. a billion bullets. What do you got? <laughs> that was their reply. We got a billion bullets. What right. do you got? You know, they are serious as three heart attacks, and they are slavers. They're pro slavery, and you think you're just gonna discuss this away with them, huh? Good luck with that, uh, Representative Charles Sumner. (laughs) I I, I say that because you know what happened to him. When he went in to the uh, Congress talking about how the 13th Amendment exception clause was going to allow slavery to continue, they literally beat him with a cane into unconsciousness. Right. Right there in the Congress. In the Congress. In the Congress. All right. Well, Let's hit a, a, one more piece of news, Yusuf. Grab whatever you want. Maybe that's slavery. Yeah, I, uh, have, uh, I have some new laws for 2022, some things that just went into law. There's a, a article that was put out by uh, PBS.org, and it lists some new things that went into a, to look, that took effect, took effect across the country. I'm not going to cover all the things because some of them just, you know, aren't relevant to our program, but it's just some certain, some pertinent ones within the article. So uh, in North Carolina, law enforcement recruits now must receive psychological screenings by a licensed psychologist to determine their uh, suitability for the job before they can work as an officer or a deputy. It's 2022. We're just figuring that out. <laughs> yeah, they just figured that out. 
Like maybe we Here's shouldn't bring one. people who have mental problems into the police force. <laughs> right, right. They just figured that out. It took them, you know, all these centuries to figure that one out. Well, here's another one along the same vein. In Oregon, a new law requires a police officer who witnesses another officer engaging in misconduct or a violation of the state's minimum moral fitness standards to report it to a supervisor within 72 hours. A police agency must complete an investigation within three months and report findings of misconduct that rise above minor violations to the state. <laughs> so, in other words, you had three days to report something that you saw, and you're going to investigate yourselves. So, in other words, more of the same. It's also excluding people. So, if you can't uh, report this in 72 hours for whatever reason, uh, it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. always. It's not always your choice. You know what I mean? Like you might be facing right. some serious issues just if you speak up and you have to make preparations before you open your mouth. That's what whistleblowers do. And you're only giving them right. three days, meaning once only the three days three is days. over, we don't want to hear you no more. Yeah. Can't say anything about it. Here's another one. An Illinois law standardizes certification of police officers by the Illinois Law Enforcement Training and Standards Board and allows for decertifying officers for repeated errant or unethical behavior instead of only when they're convicted of a crime. Doesn't mean much to me. I don't know about you, Max, on that one. Yeah. Uh, like you said, keep moving. Okay, I have two. It's uh, three three more from this article. Two more. And I got So one. in Oregon, there's also a bill known official, unofficially as the Crown Act will ban discrimination based on physical characteristics that are historically associated with race, including hairstyles such as braids, locks, and twists. And in Kansas, people will be allowed to buy specialized license plates featuring the don't tread on me coiled snake symbol featured on what's known as the Gadsden flag. Critics suggested that the Gadsden flag has become a racist symbol that has been adopted by some far-right groups. So I say the Democrats have not taken these far-right Republican parties seriously, and they mean business. They, they would Absolutely. tattoo, we'll kill all you Negroes on their forehead if they could. <laughs> and they'll protect it with the First Amendment. Protect it with the First Amendment, regardless of whether or not it doesn't apply. Because, you know, there's this thing right. called fighting words that does not is not protected by the First Amendment. If you, exactly. Which is why they always say you can't scream fire in a crowded uh, theater because that's not protected by the First Amendment. Neither is kill all those Negroes. That's not protected by the First Amendment either. Right. <laughs> here's, a, here's a law for you that came out, and this is a direct result mm-hmm. of the idiocy uh, argument that they use in regards to critical race theory. And in New Hampshire, okay. they passed HB 1255, an act relative to teachers' loyalty. It says, no teacher shall advocate any doctrine or theory promoting a negative account or representation of the founding and history of the United States of America in New Hampshire public schools, which does not include the worldwide context of now outdated and discouraged practices. Such prohibition includes, but is not limited to, teaching that the United States was founded on racism. Like, they're literally going with the 
gag rule. You can't teach it. You can't speak it. You can't say, you know, uh, slavery was bad. No, no, no. It was only bad for some people. Tell both sides of the mm-hmm. story. <laughs> you know, that's, right. that's how they got to do it. Like, without slavery, we wouldn't be here today. We would still be, you'd be in Africa climbing trees. I think that's what the, the preacher said one time. You'd be in Africa climbing trees and eating each other, and we would uh, be over here. Uh, like, like, really? But that's where we're at now in the public schools, where white supremacy is being taught, and anything counter to that is not allowed to be mentioned. Right. In fact, uh, uh, Ron DeSantis down in Florida has started threatening school districts to withhold their funding if they were yep. uh, teaching uh, critical race theory in their schools. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. It's um, it's like we're in the Twilight Zone, you know? And I was thinking actually of a Twilight Zone episode where we was talking earlier um, in regards to it's when they had where aliens came and they think aliens came and invaded and it kind of divided the town. Uh, one house they thought was working with the aliens and was protected and everybody was you know, going against them. Like, no, that's not our story at all. We're, we're not divided over what we think. It's more like the thing, John Carpenter. Right. Any one of y'all could be mm-hmm. a crazy evil monster. Any one of you. Right. You, any one of you could be infected by, what did they say when it was Arabs that was... Uh, Getting hit with it, they called it radicalization, right? Who's radicalizing all these Arab nations? Well, who's doing it here? And all you got to do is look at what I just read to you about the public schools. Right. It starts there. Well, It starts right there at a young age. I want to get another clip out there um, tonight. And this one, I want to introduce somebody to you. Uh, It's a brother by the name of Conscious Lee. Uh, Sister uh, Jeanette Smith turned me on to him, and uh, he's on Instagram and TikTok, and he's got a couple of degrees, and he's really a very bright brother who put things together, but he speaks, you know, down to earth in real terms. And uh, I snatched a little bit of his words off of one of his presentations. We'll share that presentation in its entirety on our page, Uh, but we're going to play some of it today. It's called Consciously. That's the brother there. And we have Cobus on the drums in the background, and then we're going to follow that with some more Gil Scott Haran. Ain't no such thing as a Superman. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, abolitiontoday.org and abolitionistcenter.com. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. 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 Yeah. Abolition. Y'all want to, I feel like if you ever was a person that wanted to be like, damn. How can a free black person in 1820 own slaves? If you want to understand the psychology of that, all you got to do really is go to a black conservative page and you'll be able to understand the psychology behind selling your own people out for your personal gain. You know what I'm saying? The internet ain't really showing nothing new. All the internet give us is different ways for people to deal old tactics into, you know what I'm saying, the virtual reality. You know what I mean? But it's always been overseas. You know what I'm saying? It's always been people that's going to tap dance for a little bit of white comfort. You feel me? It's always been people that's going to, you know what I'm saying, be both angles to make sure that white people accept them and pick them. You know what I mean? When we talk about man bingo fighting, when we talk about, you know what I'm saying, the literal notion of being a sellout or a house negro mentality, all these are terms, all these are concepts that get, let you know that the, that the ideology of being able to sell your people out for yourself ain't nothing new. 
know what I'm saying? It's really made me think about how in the hood, a lot of us will try to measure somebody's success based off of how close they are to white people. We'll measure somebody's success, success based off of how far away they are from black people. You know what I'm saying? You know, Dickhead Dawson, or you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, Candace Owens, that's really what they be doing, you feel me? They really just be trying to appeal to white people, trying to prove that I'm not like those Negroes over there. You know what I mean? Just like what they'll go, what they'll do. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not, it's not nothing new. You know what I'm saying? It's not nothing new. You know, colonialism and slavery would not exist without those types of individuals, those outliers of the community that's going to identify with being able to prove that humanity by dominating and being violent to other people.
an article that I see that you put up about the U.S. effort to combat forced labor targets corporate China ties. You know, and this has been something that's been going on, you know, where the U.S. has been going after after China and other uh, Asian countries like the Philippines and going after Mexico and talking about uh, forced labor and just thinking of the hypocrisy of it all. You know, when they're talking about you can't do forced labor, it's wrong. It's morally wrong. And yet we see what goes on every single day, all day, in the prisons here in America. And I even came across this, – this was really crazy. I came across this one article. It's uh, – I found it uh, on Essence.com. It says, modern-day slavery operation uncovered in Georgia, Fed said. Federal indictment says victims of over 100 laborers smuggled from Mexico and Central America to the U.S., with some held at gunpoint to work. And as I was reading through this story, it reminded me of what Brother Alonzo, who calls in from Angola prison, told us what happened there during the pandemic, where... You know, they were refusing to work because they were worried about contracting COVID and all of these things. And the administration came there with shotguns and pistols and forced them out onto the plantations to pick cotton and pick tobacco and uh, hold the fields and all of these things. So, you know, I'm looking at them like here – the federal government is indicting one for doing something while at the same time the other one is allowed to legally do it. And the reason it's legal to do it is because of the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. The courts have said so several times where cases have been brought against states and the federal government. And the courts will say, well, look, because of the exception clause, the way the 13th Amendment is written, it's out of our jurisdiction. Congress has to fix it. You know, it's not something that the courts can remedy. There are there are no court remedies to the 13th Amendment exception clause. It has to be done through legislation. And then at the same time, they're turning around and they're uh, cracking down on those who are doing it outside of the state control, because that was the only difference between chattel slavery and the slavery we see today. The only difference is instead of it being owned or controlled by the individual, it's controlled by the state government now. Max. Right. Right. Yeah, I often have to have that discussion with people when they try to say that, well, we were talking about chattel slavery, and that's not – well, everything that happened in chattel slavery is basically happening right now. Uh, you can sure. find examples of it behind enemy lines in these prisons or in these jails or in other circumstances. Just tell me what it is what's happening during chattel slavery, and I'm very likely to be able to quickly tell you about how it's happening right now, where and when. <laughs> you know? It's just you don't see it. It's behind these walls. We don't have cameras going on all the time like we see out in the open. You know, there's an anniversary tomorrow. It's an important anniversary. And I kind of feel like we have a, a reflection of that today. And the anniversary is that of the founding of the North Star newspaper, on December 3rd, mm-hmm. 1847. Uh, that's when it was launched. And I want to read a little bit from the introduction uh, comments of the paper's first uh, publication. 
It opened up saying, our paper and its prospects. We are now about to assume the management of the editorial department of a newspaper devoted to the cause of liberty, humanity, and progress. The position is one which, with the purest motives we have long desired to occupy, it has been our anxious wish to see in this slave-holding, slave-trading, and Negro-hating land a printed press and paper permanently established under the complete control and direction of the immediate victims of slavery and oppression. That's how it opened up. (laughs) And then it followed up with a statement from Frederick Douglass that says, it is neither a reflection on the fidelity nor disparagement of the ability of our friends and fellow laborers to assert what common sense only affirms and only folly denies, that the man who has suffered the wrong is the man to demand redress, that the man struck is the man to cry out, and that he who has endured the cruel pangs of slavery is the man to advocate liberty. It is evident we must be our own representatives and advocates, not exclusively, but peculiarly, not distinct from, but in connection with our white friends. In the grand struggle for liberty and equality now waging, it is meet, right, and essential that there should arise in our ranks authors and editors as well as orators, for it is in these capacities that the most permanent good can be rendered to our cause. Frederick Douglass, December 3rd, 1847, The North Star, Issue 1. Man, like, history is a synonym. Here we are again. History is a synonym. It sounds like that could have been written today. Exactly. Like, we could have wrote it because we're following their past. We we are just the latest torchbearers and proud to be so for a fight that's been going on longer than any of us have been alive. Uh, But this time, we expect to win it. Yusuf, uh, we've got about half an hour left for the whole show. Maybe 15 minutes or more uh, talk time. Uh, you want to try to open up the phone lines if anybody wants to uh, say anything? Sure. If anyone wants to call in, uh, 515-605-9814, because we know some people listen through the Internet. But if you are listening through your phone or you're listening on the Internet, 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 to raise your hand so you can be added into the telephone queue. All right, there you go. I came you, across, uh, got a question or comment. Yeah, so I came Sh- across something. Uh, just in, real quick, you know, I'm sorry, brother. Just one more thing real quick. Shout out to Jesse Ames, who's listening right now, sending some positive com- comments about how inspirational we are. Oh, great. We appreciate that. Uh, oh, we actually got a hand raised. You see the new uh, logo they have for when someone raises their hand? Oh, that's pretty slick. <laughs> yeah. <All right. laughs> I like that. So, uh, you, you sure, 4209. Hey, this is Palmetto Star, the Ratchet Revolutionary, but you can call me probably. What's going on, Max Parsons? Glad to see you <laughs> on your thing. We'll continue to fight this evil demon called, uh, called Chateau Slavery that we are fighting. So... Just glad to see you're on it for another season. You know I had to call in for um, your first season. I mean, for the, uh, your season debut. Uh-huh. So, man, you were literally man, you were years yeah, ago. It. You was at the first show ten years ago yes. for the Palmetto Star. Uh, <laughs> indeed, man, you just seen been there with us through this whole past decade, just driving this story home week after week after week after week. 
and they're now seeing uh, the growth of that all. You know, it, it really snowballed just since 2015 or so. Um, what do you think? What are you asking me about this? Yes, uh, you, as a witness to the change over time, I said it, it seemed to me like it snowballed after oh, about yeah, 2015. Yes, absolutely. I've actually seen the change, um, witnessed the the infrastructure falling down, and I know it's been a lot of you just, um, you know, chiseling at it. It's like a it's like a statue. You know what I'm saying? You, you're not gonna, you know, strike the stone the first time and and come out with a with a perfect statue. You know, it takes several strikes and it takes consistency. And just for you doing that consistently on a consistent basis and not only just taking the message on the Internet, but going around the country with this message and energizing and electrifying other people to do so as well, you know, um, is really uh, taking its toll on the evil empire. And now you actually see the fruit of your labor and seeing how it's going all it's all going down, you know, um the corporate uh private prison industry is definitely on its last leg and we see the whole thing crumbling right before our faces and it's and it's definitely definitely a testimony to what you've been doing on a consistent basis and glad to Glad to see the growth and glad to see, um, you know, you out there doing it and looking forward to the um, looking forward to the to the uh, documentary, actually. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah we hear you. you. Sorry about that. You I had myself analogy. on mute. <laughs> so did I. Uh, you made a beautiful analogy in regards to sculpting this thing out. That's what it's like. You can't just strike it and it's done. It doesn't work that way. You just got to keep chiseling little pieces off, and eventually you get the whole thing. So that was a beautiful uh, imagery that you put in my head, and it's absolutely right, brother. I appreciate your support over the years. Shout out to uh, Nathan, uh, who is from the ASNN, just sent me a message say he's listening. Uh, what's up, Nathan? Hey, what's <laughs> We're going on, Nathan? Again. Uh-huh. We're killing it again. Well, tell them a little bit about where they can reach you if they want to tune into your program every Thursday at 11 p.m. Uh, too Raw for TV. Oh, yes, every Thursday. Oh, you already know. Yes, of course. Absolutely, because we're doing the same same work. We definitely work uh, definitely um, parallel to what you're doing, and we're doing it at a consistent basis, taking down the evil empire every Thursday and all around the country on Two Raw for TV, which is on blogtalkradio.com slash Two Raw for TV, spelled T-W-O-R-A-W-F-O-U-R-T-V. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about freedom is a full-time job. So we're talking about that uh, plus so much more. So we're going to talk, be talking about that plus so much more. So you guys call in 516-453-9174. Also, um, Clear your calendars for May 19th because Malcolm X Day is going down. Malcolm X, we're celebrating Malcolm X Day on May 19th. You know, I do a lot of events and rallies out here in Atlanta and all and all around. So we are doing that. And Max, hey, clear your calendar too, man. I'm, I'm gonna hit you up though. All right, man. All right. You know, Tribal and I were the recipients of the Malcolm X Award from your organization uh, last year. 
No doubt. Yes, um, yes, 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 absolutely. All right, brother. Um, gotcha. We will definitely stay in communication and uh, looking forward to building with you more because when we get together, a whole lot of things tend to happen. <laughs> peace, Palmetto Star. <laughs> yeah, peace. Thanks for calling <laughs> That's in. That's an understatement. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being so steadfast with, your, with, the, with the fight. Amen to that, brother. Thank peace, you. Sam. Palmetto Star, too broad for TV. Uh, and brother mm-hmm. Nathan out there listening. Jess is out there listening. A lot of people out there listening to us. Um, we drop in as much of the truth as we know it. You know what I mean? Like, And we try not to dwell too much on feelings or what we think. We dig in deep enough to know <laughs> and get some facts and work on facts. Because with an issue like this, you got to be on a strong foundation. And the truth doesn't take a lot to tell. You can tell the truth in a few words. Slavery never ended. Here's the 13th right. Amendment. Read it. <laughs> it's the lies that take forever to tell. And it's so interlocking, like how every time you read about the 13th Amendment ended slavery or slavery has been abolished or post-traumatic sla- syndrome as if it ended at some point and we're not being traumatized by it right now. You see right. You hit you hit the nail on the head with that, and that kind of like segues into. I see this article that you have about Atlanta moves to buy former convict labor site. Mm-hmm. Did you want to go into that one? Because I have a something uh, that yeah. ties in with that article as well. Yeah, certainly. Uh, if you have it, just go, I don't have it in front of me. I'm looking for it, but if you have it up, just go ahead and cover it real quick. Sure. So. Uh, Atlanta moves to buy former convict labor site to memorialize Chattahoochee brick workers. And the article says, an Atlanta property with a horrific past is on its way to being protected from industrial. The city is moving to buy the former site of the Chattahoochee Brick Company, which used forced prison labor around the turn of the 20th century. Proposals to build a fuel shipping terminal on the property in the past few years has failed as activists have advocated to instead put a memorial there to the people who suffered under the convict leasing system. But the future of the site has still been up in the air. On Tuesday, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms announced that she had put forth legislation for the city to buy the property. And she said it is our responsibility to protect the sanctity of this property and honor the thousands of victims who suffered and lost their lives on this land. The convict leasing system grew after the end of slavery as a way to extract free labor from people who were sometimes arrested for crimes, often petty ones, and then forced imaginary. to work under terrible conditions. Yeah, imaginary. <laughs> yeah. Not even talking about how a person could be – it could be something as simple as uh, – not having money on them and, you know, declaring them a vagrant. And they could give them, say, 30 days, and they'll get sent to a convict leasing site. And what, we, what, was, what we're talking about when we say convict leasing, the, the prisons would actually have people in the prison, and they would lease them out to the plantations where the people had just come off of the plantations, lease them back out to the plantations, work them under the same – uh, conditions that they uh, endured during slavery, worse. and what was happening a lot of yeah, and worse, and what was happening a lot of times when their time was up, there'd be no record of when they went in. So it's like 
oh, well, we have no record of the day you came in, so we don't know your 30 days is up or your six months is up or your year is up. And we saw this just recently happen, firefighters out in California, Max. Um, uh, yeah, to a degree where they had been working. And by the way, we got a three-minute hard stop from here. But to the fire okay. uh, people were working over there in California, and every day that they fought an active fire, they got X amount of time off of their sentence. And when it came time for them to take advantage of this reduced sentence, California refused to give it to them because there were still too many fires and they needed them to fight the fires. So it was like, we know we made a deal with you and you risked your life for this and work for a dollar a day to do it. But now that we do still have fires, we're not going to let you go. <laughs> that's, that's just That's just amazing. And there's another article that you all will see on our page. There's so many articles that we just didn't get to tonight. So make sure you go to our Abolition Today Facebook page. There's so much more news that we wanted to share with you all. There's the records of the last U.S. slave ship was found intact on the Alabama coast. There's a great article about it, giving some history behind it. And there's an article that I came across from Time Magazine entitled, The Slaves Dread New Year's Day the Worst the grim history of January 1st. And, you know, something that I learned for the first time, that January 1st was actually what they what was called hiring day. And this was sort of like where mm-hmm. uh, many of the major slave auctions happened on January 1st, and it was determined, like, what people were going to be doing for the year. And in the article, it mentioned this one woman had, like, seven children, and she went – and she figured, okay, I'm going to lose a couple of children. They ended up taking all of her children, you know, that that day. And it's, you know, just some uh, great history of knowing about that. And we can also tie that to the prison system as to what goes on. Everything is always the link. You know, every time it links back to slavery and that we can show exactly how it's being carried out today, Max. Indeed we can, brother. Indeed we can and have. We wrapped it up with a bow at the end. <laughs> and speaking of bows, uh, I want to send some flowers and shout-outs to Sister Jamelia Land, who you heard here a little while ago today, as well as mm-hmm. Senator Sidney Kahn-Lager, who were both uh, awarded the 2021 Uncommons Heroes uh, Award, which is pretty awesome. Two abolitionists getting it done out in California, being recognized. Uh, much love to you. Absolutely. Congratulations also, to both of them. Um, also want to say thank you to our listeners tonight, callers who called in, um, and all our supporters. And said, you know, it's all about the people. Toast to the people. You're the ones that uh, make these things possible. Otherwise, we're just speaking into the wind. We're like John the Baptist out here in the wilderness. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you're here to listen, and you hear it, and not only hear it, but you take that opportunity to consider the information and change your mind if necessary, which I think a lot of people have done over the years. And uh, thank you for being here for another season with me, Brother Yusuf Hassan. We, yes, sir. I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss it for the world, man. Uh-huh. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Uh, wouldn't this miss it year, for the world, man. Our main theme is going to be exercising the right to vote. And we don't want you to vote for a person. Come November, we're going to have slavery on the ballot. We want you to get out and vote to end slavery. We don't care who you vote for as long as you're ending slavery. 
You could be Republican, you could be independent, you could be Democrat. It doesn't matter. This is a human rights issue, and we're going to be a, a generation that is known for ending slavery. <laughs> that's awesome, right? So that's what this Absolutely. whole year is going to be about. We're going to do everything we can to empower you to use the power that you possess. And if it wasn't powerful, then why would they be trying to stop you from using it? Absolutely. And uh, right. one final shout out to uh, Andy Hope Williams, also known as the Hood Candidate. He's filed the lawsuit against the United States and several other states uh, for violations of the 13th Amendment and human rights violations. And uh, he's actually uh, out there now having all of the states, the state attorney, attorneys general being served with the lawsuit. So that's progressing. We'll have him on the uh, show in the future so he can give us an update of it. I actually have the uh, the lawsuit itself. It's 53 pages long. It's in PDF form, so I don't uh, I don't know if we'll be able to share it on our page or not, but look out for that. We're going to find a way to get it up there so everyone can read it. Uh, and we'll also provide a link to his page where, you know, he's still looking for people to, you know, serve in several different states. So I just wanted to get that out there before we went off the air this evening, Max. Awesome, man. We're definitely going to bring them on. Uh, I, I played a large role in putting that together with the information provided from the PCAC. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a, a large chunk of what he has there. And proud to see he took uh, our advice and discussions on badges and incidents of slavery and turned it into something that we can use to fight this demon. So shout out to Brother Andy Williams, who ran for president in 2020 and is going to do so again in 2024. All right, uh, with that being said, let's give a shout out to our sponsors, including our brand new sponsor. <laughs> That's and then we're right. gonna close it uh, off with our Bridging the Gap segment. Uh, this week, Bridging the Gap will feature yours truly. I'll be reading a uh, statement by Frederick Douglass about the holidays. And I read it live on Christmas Eve. Uh, and you'll see why once you hear me start talking. Yusuf? Yes, so we definitely want to thank our sponsors and partners, uh, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the IMWE Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SEMA Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, the Black Talk Radio Network, and our new sponsor of which uh, Max and I are proud members of the Abolished Slavery National Network. So remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash abolition today. Go to that page for all the news, information, and music you hear on the program. Abolition Today is also available on all podcast pro- platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Also remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become part of the solution. You can also text in the exception. That's all. Put it all as one word. Text that to 52886. And as Max said, now uh, closing segment, he's going to be reading an excerpt of Chapter 10 of the Narrative in the Life of Frederick Douglass, and that's going to be followed by Black Holocaust. It's an excellent track by Locksmith. So without further ado, we'll be well, back on. on next Sunday. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, next week. That's it. I was going to remind you. Next week, you got a guest. Oh, Tell yeah. Oh, yeah. Next week. Uh, you heard him a little bit this evening, but we're going to have him as a guest of the full program. If you can refer back to season one, 
He closed out the season for us, but he was in prison at the time. Now he's home. We're going to be proud to have our brother Samuel Brown as our first guest for 20 for season three. He's the co-author of the California Abolition Act, also known as ACA3. He was released uh, just last week, really, after 24 years. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace to you, my brother Max. Peace to our listeners, our supporters. Peace and blessings to all. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Today. An excerpt from Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, Chapter 10, read by Max Parthas on Christmas Day, 2021. My term of actual service to Mr. Edward Covey ended on Christmas Day, 1833. The days between Christmas and New Year's Day are allowed as holidays, and accordingly, we are not required to perform any labor more than to feed and take care of the stock. This time we regard it as our own by the grace of our masters, and we therefore used or abused it nearly as we pleased. Those of us who had families at a distance were generally allowed to spend the whole six days in their society. This time, however, was spent in various ways. The staid, sober-thinking, and industrious ones of our number would employ themselves in making corn brooms, mats, horse collars, and baskets. In another class, of us would spend the time in hunting opossums, hares, and coons, and by far the larger part engaged in such sports and merriments as playing ball, wrestling, running foot races, fiddling, dancing, and drinking whiskey. And this latter mode of spending the time was by far the most agreeable to the feelings of our masters. A slave who would work during the holidays was considered by our masters as scarcely deserving them. He was was regarded as one who rejected the favor of his master. It was deemed a disgrace not to get drunk at Christmas, and he was regarded as lazy indeed who had not provided himself with the necessary means during the year to get whiskey enough to last them through Christmas. From what I know of the effect of these holidays upon the slave, I believe them to be among the most effective means in the hands of the slaveholder in keeping down the spirit of insurrection. Were the slaveholders at once to abandon this practice, I have not the slightest doubt it would lead to an immediate insurrection among the slaves. These holidays serve as conductors or safety valves to carry off the rebellious spirit of enslaved humanity. But for these, the slave would be forced up to the wildest desperation and will betide the slaveholder the day he ventures to remove or hinder the operation of those conductors. I warn him that, in such an event, a spirit will go forth in their midst more to be dreaded than the most appalling earthquake. The holidays are part and parcel of the gross fraud, wrong, and inhumanity of slavery. They are professedly a custom established by the benevolence of the slaveholders. But I undertake to say it is the result of selfishness and one of the grossest frauds committed upon the downtrodden slave. They do not give the slaves this time because they would not like to have their work during its continuance, but because they know it would be unsafe to deprive them of it. This will be seen by the fact 
that the slaveholders like to have their slaves spend those days just in such a manner as to make them as glad of their ending as of their beginning. Their object seems to be to disgust the slaves with freedom by plunging them into the lowest depths of dissipation. For instance, the slaveholder not only likes to see the slave drink of his own accord, but will adopt various plans to make him drunk. One plan is to make bets on their slaves as to who can drink the most whiskey without getting drunk. And in this way, they succeed in getting whole multitudes to drink to excess. Thus, when the slave asks for virtuous freedom, the cunning slaveholder, knowing his ignorance, cheats him with a dose of vicious dissipation. Dissipation artfully labeled with the name of liberty. The most of us used to drink it down, and the result was just what might be supposed. Many of us were led to think that there was little to choose between liberty and slavery. We felt, and very properly too, that we had almost as well be slaves to man as to rum. So when the holidays ended, we staggered up from the filth of our wallowing, took a long breath, and marched to the field, feeling upon the whole rather glad to go from what our masters had deceived us into a belief was freedom back into the arms of slavery. I have said that this mode of treatment is part of the whole system of fraud and inhumanity of slavery. It is so. The mode here adopted to disgust the slaves of freedom by allowing them to see only the abuses of it is carried out in other things. For instance, a slave loves molasses. He steals some. His master, in many cases, goes off to town and buys a large quantity. He returns, takes his whip, and commands the slave to eat the molasses until the poor fellow is made sick at the very mention of it. The same mode is sometimes adopted to make the slaves refrain from asking for more food than their regular allowance. A slave runs through his allowance and applies for more. His master is enraged at him, but not willing to send him off without food, gives him more than is necessary and compels him to eat it within a given time. Then, if the if he complains that he cannot eat it, he is said to be satisfied neither full nor fasting and is whipped for being hard to please. I have an abundance of such illustrations of the same principle drawn from my own observation, but I think the cases I have cited here are sufficient. The practice is a very common Yeah, how real is this, yo? Okay, look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a symbol, it's another wealthy liberal throwing up a virtue signal. Another rich Republican funneling corporate dollars, the muzzled black voices, we're stuck with two choices, an open racist or a closet bigot. Either way, we're only given a certain limit to pivot, so be mindful as you move in that space. Cause some of our allies are just white anarchists in blackface And that hate creates chaos, stirring the mass doubters Yes, black lives matter, but what happened to black power? Black businesses, black buildings, black community Combine our dollar signs, decline qualified immunity Control our property as we properly found sites Patrol our own neighborhoods like the Jews in Crown Heights Or the Chinese in every metropolitan Every sketch you profile them in Is part of a larger net that they caught us in I call a trend how I see a trend The only way to stop 
stop racial oppression is killing it while it's deep within i'm peeking in at the legislation that led this nation till its own demise so i surmise you better expect frustration i'm speaking off the cuff but i don't leave no creases they still got us in cuffs after we leave the precinct that's if you make it there, but they don't make it there. You can't compare disparity sparingly. Who's prepared? Newsflash, CNN is just as bad as Fox. They coax in black emotion to coincide with a notion. They're swinging that direction instead of true self-reflection. Projecting a biased view to use you for the election. We are not ex-slaves, knock the falseness off. We are survivors of the transatlantic holocaust. African genocide that lives inside this continent. Until America can admit to that, this is the consequence. So when did racism make its cause? The term white didn't exist until miscegenation laws. Europeans were Europeans and Africans were tribal. They used two weapons, a leather whip and a Bible. It's more vital than ever for those lesser. So stop with the gimmicks that mimic our oppressor. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. From out the concrete, still a rose can grow. Whoa. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. Today. Abolition.